We've been in a series of messages that has been entitled Stewardship is Lordship, and we've been focused specifically in the last three weeks on uh, the, the understanding of what lordship is and why it's necessary in the life of a believer. And we've had some good conversations. Um, again, one of the fun things about leading a small group is continuing the conversation of these messages uh, in my home on Thursday nights with a group that have uh, been involved in our small group. And it's always intriguing how uh, the message is impacting and continuing to have a conversation about what the impact of uh, these passages of scriptures uh, have been in our hearts and lives as we, as, as we do life together. And, and I want to remind us at the onset of this reality, the, the, this message this, this morning, uh, is that stewardship is not something that we are called to do in a separatist mindset. To be a good steward of God's resources does not involve us pulling ourselves up and out of this world and hiding away in communities in the hills. (laughs) In reality, we are called to be good stewards as a part of our everyday. And to go back to the last two Sundays, we've uh, looked specifically about what, uh, how, how lordship is to be a part of, uh, of our life, and, and specifically how Jesus tells us what lordship settles in the life of a believer, of a follower of Christ. Lordship settles four things that we've looked at specifically. First, it settles the position issue of who is lord of our life, who is at the center, who is number one. It is to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He desires, demands to be at the center of all that we do. And every day as we surrender to his lordship, that is a part of what it means for us to be surrendered to lordship. Of saying, God, you're in control. Jesus, take the wheel. You are number one. You are the center. Lordship also, number two, settled the permission issue. Who has permission to lead my life? Who has control? It is, again, to be Jesus. He wants to have the ability in my life and in yours to say yes and to say no. To say go, to say wait. To say do and to say be. Third, Lordship settled the profession issue, what it is we are to be active in doing. We are to be followers of Christ who are active in our world. And last week, Lordship settles the possession issue of our life. Who is it that owns you and me and everything we have? If we can acknowledge again this morning that God owns everything, that he owns me, that I am a child of God, that God has complete control of me and everything I have, then we can take the logical next step of becoming that good steward Uh, The ones entrusted with all that God has to bring about our job on this earth. The things we are to do are to bring about the kingdom of heaven here and now. Not hiding away, hoping for a better day, but rather using every ounce of resource we have access to. To bring about the glimmer of hope 
the glimpses of the perfected kingdom of heaven in the here and now. This morning, I I want us to continue and to uh, end this sermon series on stewardship being lordship by talking specifically about the the how. We're going to jump into Jesus' teaching from Luke chapter 12. And it's a lengthy passage, and it's going to involve these four identifying marks of what a good steward is to be. A good and faithful sensible steward in the world we have been given today. Let's learn firstly about what Jesus calls a good steward. A good steward is firstly responsible according to this parable Jesus is about to tell in Luke chapter 12 starting with verse 13. Listen to God's word as Jesus teaches here. Someone in the crowd, Luke Luke chapter 12 verse 13, someone in the crowd called Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replies, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. I want to say at the onset of this point, there is not a single commercial or television show or media made message that involves this teaching. On the flip side, Everything our world throws our way goes against Jesus' teaching here. It's as if the message of our world says life is measured by how much you own. The way of Jesus is always counterculture. The way of following and honoring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords goes against the ways we are taught by this world. To reiterate this point, Jesus tells a story. Verse 16, verse 16 a rich man, Jesus teaches, had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. In verse 19, then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. If a good steward is responsible, the opposite needs to be identified. A bad steward is, what's the opposite of responsible? Being 10 years old. 
The opposite of being responsible is being irresponsible, not responsible. Jesus tells a story about a farmer who is irresponsible with his resources. How is this farmer irresponsible? He's irresponsible first to himself. This farmer considers material possessions to be of uh, elevated importance in his life. His, his life, as Jesus tells this story, uh, revolves around being sure to take care of what to do with his surplus grain. Uh, the, the, the mantra of his life may be stored up in verse 19 where he says, I'll then sit back and tell myself, good job, eat, drink, and be merry. We know it to be true that if a person's self-worth comes from how much they have, they will be miserable. Maybe all too familiar is in someone else's life. How many of you have heard from your parents or your grandparents, don't point fingers because you have how many pointing back at you? Three more pointing back at you. We know that teaching, but how often we do this? When we see someone else living their life and measuring their value by what they own or what they have access to, their earthly resources, it is so easy for me, and I think for us, to see this obvious flaw in other people of measuring themselves by what they own, by what they have access to, and all the while being irresponsible and all the while not looking into my own life. The farmer in the story, the irresponsible farming, uh, farmer, thought that he could live well off the things offered by his life, that if he would just focus his attention inwardly, he would be happy. He was also irresponsible to others, uh, according to the Scripture. In verses 17 and 19, we see this overabundance of the selfish nature of this fictional character that Jesus tells the story about. You, you see it in the, the language that Jesus uses about the words put into this man's mouth. He says, I do not have room for all of my crops. I, I know, he says, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. Do, do you sense, again, as we look at this story of someone else, do you sense the selfishness that is brooding here? This irresponsible farmer thought that he could keep his bumper crop blessing to himself. He didn't have a, a, a selfless idea. He had a, a, a me-first mentality. He didn't have an others-first servant mindset. He acknowledged that things were good for him. His crop was great. And so he hoarded the wealth for himself. In the reminders about stewardship, I, I've heard it taught this way in my life. That we need to think of ourselves. Stewardship it, it is learning to be rivers rather than reservoirs. Rivers, a conduit, a, a place of flowing resources to where they're needed rather than trying to encircle everything we have access to and saying, it's mine, stay away. This teaching goes, again, against almost everything we are taught by this world. 
becoming a river instead of uh, the Hoover Dam of saying, all of this is mine. I want to hold it until I deem it necessary to use. It is is a mindset of servanthood that we we, we have to be willing to have a conversation about. The issue of stewardship is much more about saying, God, uh, I need to die to myself and my own personal bent towards selfishness and saying, yes, God, I know this is all yours. Please use me. What a blessing it is to be used by God for his own purposes. In the story Jesus tells, this farmer is also irresponsible to God. The farmer, seemingly, as Jesus tells this very short parable, had lost or maybe never had a God focus in his life. He didn't realize the certainty of life and death. He didn't think about God's judgment or being accountable in this story. He didn't understand God's table of weights and measures is different than the world's standard. And yet God wasn't impressed with the size of this farmer's silos of the amount of resources that he had hoarded for himself. Inevitably, the farmer dies, as Jesus tells the story, and his personal riches account for nothing. Jesus says that this way, yes, a person is foolish, is a, a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship with God. So so the reminder, uh, again, is not for us not to have savings accounts or uh, to invest in our retirement. Rather, what Jesus says is that it's foolish to only focus there and neglect whose we are. Stewardship is, is not about being penniless. Stewardship, good stewards, are are not seeking to give ourselves away and, and find ourselves in ruin. Rather, good stewardship involves being rich toward God. That deep relationship with God that allows us to know what God is asking us to do with all that He has entrusted into our care. What does it truly mean to be rich towards God? It means to invest in heavenly treasures. We we talked about it last week. To invest in eternity. Jesus says it this way again in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Have you had anything destroyed by rust or moths or a 10-year-old? We know the things we have here and now are temporary Jesus says, or where thieves break in and steal. Store then your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever, Jesus says, your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. A good steward, a good steward takes care of everything any resource, a a good steward in any line of work, in any conversation, a a good steward in your business, a good steward in your home, a good steward with your financial blessings, your CPA, whoever it is, a good steward of what they've been entrusted with is responsible with what they've been given. A, A good steward of God's kingdom resources is responsible as well. We look at the God-given blessings 
And we ask God, how would you have me manage what you've given? A good steward is responsible. A good steward, secondly, is satisfied. After the illustration about the irresponsible farmer, Jesus teaches this story in the first verses of Luke chapter 12, and then Jesus continues on. He immediately follows this up, and uh, the scripture says then, turning to the disciples, verse 22, Jesus says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. I, I tell you this story about how foolish it is to build bigger silos and miss out on a relationship with God. I tell you this. Jesus says, whether you have food enough to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food. Your body more than clothing. Verse 24, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in giant silos, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any bird. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry itself can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I, I imagine the disciples, as Jesus is teaching this right here before verse 27, I imagine them listening to him, trying to get it, and their blank stares on their faces. So Jesus continues, verse 27, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, King Solomon, in all of his glory, you know it, was not dressed even as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why must you have such little faith? Verse 29, Jesus continues, don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you His kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up your treasure in heaven. And the purses of heaven neither get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, again, Jesus says it, there the desires of your heart will also be. I've asked you this before. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you are guilty of worrying? How many of you have been consumed by worry in the last 24 hours? I wonder. Don't raise your hand or elbow your neighbor. Our human condition reminds us often how prone to worry we are. When is it, church, When is it that we will take God's word, Jesus' word specifically here? When is it that we will acknowledge that God owns everything and realize that it's he who is responsible for everything we are to have in this life? We know the results of worry, right? Worry is destructive in our life. Jesus acknowledges the destructive nature of worry and warns the crowd 
twice. Don't worry. Do not worry. And you and I don't need much more example than our own sleepless nights or, or our tireless pursuits of, of finding out information, turning pages, reading headlines to acknowledge the destructive nature of worry. Worry literally strangles our lives away. Famously, Corey Ten Boom wrote this phrase, these two sentences in her book, The Hiding Place. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. You get that? Jesus says it this way, can all of your worries at a single moment, or another translation, a single hour, can, can by worrying you add anything to your life? The answer? No. All it does is subtract from our life. It is destructive. It removes living. It ceases time for us. It draws time, draws energy away from where God wants us to be, and it is destructive. It's also deceptive. Let's say it this way. Worry is a liar. It gives us a false view of life, a false view of God, a false view of what worrying even does for itself. It causes us to be distracted. Worry is distracting. It draws our attention away from the kingdom of God first, as Jesus says. And it causes us to look at what we think are more important things in the here and now. The food, clothing, the things that we think we are to be focused on. The enemy loves the issue of worry in the life of a believer. The distractions that come from giving attention to the things that are beyond our control, beyond our means in the moment. The enemy loves to distract us with worry. Worry gets our eyes off the prize. Distracts us from the end goal of bringing glory to God through our life by serving others and spreading the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Worry distracts us. By causing us to seek after the things that we have no control over anyway. So I ask again, church, when when will this truth take root? When will we be healed from worry? I like to say it this way in these conversations. I would rather have the conversation about how prone to worry and how much I desire not to worry than faking like it's not an issue in my life. Let's have that conversation. Let's admit our proneness to worry and let's surrender it to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who can provide. A good steward Third, is prepared. Jesus continues to teach in this way. Jesus continues to illustrate this good stewardship. When he goes, uh, continues in verse 35, Jesus says it this way. Be dressed for service. Keep your lamps burning. Keep your lights on. Always keep your clothes on and be ready with the light on. As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. I think a little bit is lost in translation here before uh, verse 37. I, I, I think maybe a modern way for us to understand this is for me to ask you the question, have you ever been locked out of your house? 
Have you ever, okay, hands up. Yeah, you've, you've been locked out of your house. Ha, worse yet, have you ever been locked out of your house and yet your kids are still inside on their tablets <laughs> or their phone or whatever it is, playing with Legos, and you know they're inside and so you do something, right, when you're locked out of the house and you know someone else is still in there, you do this. Do you know what this is in 2019? It's knocking, yeah. If we don't have a doorbell, you knock or you ring the doorbell, whatever it is. And have you ever been like this guy, uh, being able to see through a series of windows and still see your child while you're doing this and your child acknowledges nothing? <laughs> because they're distracted by something far more intelligent than their father. It takes batteries. It needs to be destroyed. Somebody said amen. What's worse yet? It's when you reach into your pocket knowing I know how to get a hold of my family and you dial the number to your wife and for some reason in Clearfield and or Hyde her phone doesn't ring while she's in the house. And so you're stuck outside. Eventually you lose your cool and you break through a window. Okay, I haven't done that yet. The difference, here, here, here's what's remarkable of this illustration. Here's what's remarkable. You, you're leaving to go do something and nobody even knows about it, right? And so you accidentally have to go back in the house and you're like, oh my goodness, I left my keys, I can't get them back. So you're knocking and banging and trying to get someone's attention. Or the opposite spectrum, you tell your kids that grandma and grandpa just texted and they're only 10 minutes away from visiting us. They're on their way. They're going to be here any second. Guess what happens in that moment? If, if you live in my house, those kids make a beeline for that door. They are so ready. Everything's in place. Like, oh my goodness, Grandma and Grandpa are going to be here. I can't wait. I hope I get to see them first at, at the door. So they keep all their attention ready for that knock, ready for them to pull in first. I think that's what Jesus is saying here about being prepared as a steward. We need to be like those kids waiting for grandma and grandpa to arrive. Maybe master coming back from the wedding feast doesn't relate to us, but this illustration should. It should connect some dots about what it means to be prepared as a follower of Christ, as a good steward. We must be always on the ready. Verse 37, Jesus continues this same idea. It says, the servants who are ready and waiting, the kids who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. Grandma and grandpa always say yes, right? That's why they can't wait. They couldn't care less about dad running to the store, dad running to the office. He's, I'm sure he's fine. That's what he does. But grandma and grandpa are coming. I want to be ready. Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. He himself will seat them. The master will seat them, put on an apron, serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Jesus continues, and we get this one. This one hits home, right? Verse 39, understand this. Jesus continues, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. <laughs> that lands well in Clearfield. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into, right? obvious. Verse 40, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. 
We get this. We, we know what it's like to be prepared. Much of our life involves being prepared for things. We prepare for the day. We prepare for vacation. We prepare uh, for next steps in life. We prepare for the chance that the economy is going to uh, worsen. We prepare for the unknown sometimes. And yet, Jesus says, if we prepare for all of these other kinds of things with while neglecting preparation for using kingdom resources for God's purposes, we, we've taken our eyes off of the prize. We lose sight of the finish line that we're called to run in a race towards. And we're guilty of focusing on the temporal, the, the, the life moments, the breadth of life moments that we have. We become bad stewards. How do we fix this? I, I, I think it takes us praying. It takes us humbling ourselves and praying a prayer like this. Lord, what blessing, what resource in my life, in, in my possession, what do I have, God, that I can make use of today to bring you glory? Because I know you're coming. I know you're coming soon. What do I have that I can use for your purpose to point others towards the final judgment that will be coming. And then I know it's 2019. We wish we had a text alert, right? We get text alerts when there's amber alerts, when there's bad weather, when all of Clearfield is going to blow away last Thursday. Oh, we like getting the text alerts that tell us, hey, get to your basement. We would love to get a text alert that says, hey, guess what? Time to get things in order. Jesus is coming. Grandma and Grandpa just texted. They'll be here in 10 minutes. Jesus says, be ready at all times. We're not going to get a text alert. In fact, what we do here as a part of worship, what we declare about the gospel of Jesus is our text alert. Jesus is coming. Be prepared. A good steward is responsible. A good steward is satisfied. Not prone to worry. A good steward is prepared. And finally, Jesus alluded to it here in these previous verses, but he goes on to say a good steward will be rewarded. Luke chapter 12, verse 41, it's Peter, again, who speaks up after this teaching. Lord, is that illustration just for us, or is it for everyone? Is the story you're telling, is it just for us, your, your, your lead team, your inner circle? Is it just for us, or is it for all people to be prepared? And Jesus responds this way. A faithful, sensible steward is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Whew. That's good stuff, right? Stop right there, right? Let's not go on. We love this part. We, we love that idea, okay? If I do a good job, I'm going to get a reward. We, we love that. It's part of our, our life. We understand that if we do what we're supposed to do, there's often a reward. If we help the company, I don't know what company you work for, but if you work for the company and you do a good job and profits are up, more than likely there's a bonus. And some of you who own your own business, if it's a good year, it becomes a good Christmas, right? We know that doing a good job, being responsible with the possessions that we have, earns us a reward. 
And we want to stop there, right? Jesus teaches this, this reality. Hey, if you do what you're supposed to do, if, if you will use heavenly resources for kingdom purposes, if you will not hoard them behind yourself, if you will not be irresponsible with what you've been entrusted with, if you will not lose sight of it being God's first, the good news is, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we're faithful, if we're good and sensible, we'll be given even more responsibility, rewards even. And yet Jesus doesn't stop there. The scripture continues. Verse 45, we don't like this. This is not popular. What, what if the servant thinks, Jesus continues, my, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. Verse 46, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. Remember, that's how he's coming back. And he will cut the servant into pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Verse 47, a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Jesus goes on in the two more verses and talks about the contrast. And there's really nothing cryptic about what Jesus is talking about here. Right? Again, we understand do good, get good. Do bad and be punished. But we don't want to talk about what it looks like to not do what God has called us to do with His resources. We would much rather talk about what we will do or would do if God blessed us with the amount of resources we think we need, we want, or we could really make an impact with. God is saying, if you will acknowledge me as the owner of everything in your life, and you'll be faithful in the act of stewardship, I'm going to trust you with even more. If you don't, just in the area of lordship, as Jesus has said, depart from me. I never knew you. So the challenge for us today and every day is to live out practically what it means to be a good steward. Being responsible. Being satisfied. Being prepared. And knowing that as we are faithful, He rewards. So the question for us today, what do we do with what we have? Well, what do we do with what we've been entrusted with? And uh, again, we're prone to looking around and saying, well, I haven't been nearly as entrusted as so-and-so. So I hope they get it right and I can follow suit. Don't think about anyone else. What God has given you is His resources, His finances, His time, His dependence, His property, His heavenly resources have been entrusted into your care. What are you going to do with them? Here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, on the area of tithing, we encourage you to practice biblical tithing. As we talked about specifically last week from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where we understand in the Hebrew understanding of the language, a tithe is a tenth, and God is honored as we as his people approach kingdom mindset by giving back a tenth 
It's outlined in Scripture again and again, and it's reminded throughout church history of this importance of us as surrendered followers of Christ to give back to the Lord a tenth. And we invite you, as we talk about it here at Highs West Wesleyan Church, we, we invite you as a part of this church, if you're with us on, on mission for uh, emphasizing the kingdom, for, for telling others about the hope in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us on mission by giving your tenth, your tithe, here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. And by together pooling those resources, we're just talking about finances right here, but by pooling those tenth resources of all of our income together, we can continue, and I want you to know God has blessed us in so many ways here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, to be able to do incredible things with God's resources because of faithful stewards. If you're not giving yet here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, if maybe you haven't taken that step of following after Christ, I just want to invite you to try it. We've tried to make it as simple as possible for you. You know uh, every Sunday we take up an offering and then the kids come and take up another offering, right? But you know, we still pass the baskets here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, inviting you to uh, participate in person with the act of giving. It's an act of worship. We believe that through Scripture. That giving a portion of what God has given to us, this stewardship example, this act of worship representing what it means to be a good steward of God's resources is a part of our worship. And so the basket is passed every week. And we invite you not to go, oh yeah, it's that time to give again. But rather to say, I am worshiping God through my giving. We also invite you, many of our families participate in giving uh, online. It's 2019, right? Giving online is a helpful thing in many of our families' lives. To be able to schedule your giving, to be able to give even when you're on vacation, to be able to give when you're away, to be able to do the math at home and find out what a tenth is of what God has entrusted into your care. You can give online very simply by going to give.hidewest.com on your phone or on your computer. You can choose to give one time that way, or you can choose to make it a regular part of your giving here at Hyde West St. Church. There's also texting to give. Some of you have chosen to do it that way, where you just type a dollar amount and you text that dollar amount to 84321. And then that sets some things up on your end for your bank account, and you can give specifically that way. We invite you to do that. Beyond giving towards your tithe, you know, and we've talked about it even this morning, we, we, we continually put before you opportunities to give beyond. We talk about our faith promise here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. Every year we emphasize this over and above our normal tithe of giving back to the Lord for the sake of the mission of the church, of going beyond the walls of this place and giving because we know the message of the hope of Jesus is the most important for the world. And so we invite you to give towards faith promise. You know, we also have Repair to Prepare. Today is that Repair to Prepare Sunday where we've asked you to consider giving. Again, as God enables you to give over and above towards our building projects and some fixing of things. The new priority in our conversations as a, a board of trustees and our local board of administration is the need for a new roof here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. 
And so we're praying. Part of the hopes of selling the parsonage in God's timing is to help us to be able to afford what it's going to take to put a new roof on. And we know that you're going to be a part of that process and a part of helping us raise those funds continually. You know right now we have that goal of raising $150,000 by next December of 2020. Please consider... As the Holy Spirit lays on your heart as an individual, as a family, as he prods something in you, consider, as we learn in Scripture from Malachi last week, test the Lord in this. As we've been entrusted with much, as as God has given to us, as we are trusted with his resources, and as we give back to him, Scripture is clear. This is not prosperity gospel conversation stuff here, right? This is not if you give a certain dollar amount, God's going to double or triple it. That's not what I'm saying. But God is faithful to give us all that we need in the everyday as we remain faithful to him, test him in it, he encourages. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? I didn't say this in first service, but it would be so cool if a hundred of us texted texted a hundred thousand dollars right now to the Hyde Wesleyan phone number. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is working in your life, in your heart, in your mind. I don't know what conversations go on after church service like this, after a series of messages on stewardship and faithfulness of surrender to the Lord. I don't know. But my prayer as your pastor is that as the Lord continues to do a work that I believe and I've prayed that he is doing in our lives as individuals, that we will individually and collectively take that step of faith of trusting him more fully every day. That's the walk of faith. That's the walk of being sanctified and made holy in the image of God every day. Is taking those steps and trusting Him more today than I did yesterday, more tomorrow than today, and saying yes to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Hyde Wesleyan Church. Thank you for these men and women and boys and girls. Thank you for the families represented here this morning. And thank you for the unique call that we have as followers of Jesus Christ to be faithful, good stewards of our resources. And Lord, I pray that in each of our hearts and lives, we would continue every day to come to terms with acknowledging that what we have is not our own, that it's yours. And that you have enabled us, you have called us, you have brought us into your God economics. And you have allowed us the privilege of being used in our personhood, in our abilities, in our gifts, in our talents, in our resources for your purposes. Would you help us to see all that we have and all that we do, all that we can be in light of surrender to your Lordship? Would you mark us this day and every day as surrendered men and women, consecrated, called, set apart for your purposes? And Lord, I pray that as we as individuals continue to find the strength to surrender, Lord, that you would find us as a church 
would find us practicing good stewardship continually. Help us to manage all that has been entrusted here in this local church for your purposes. Lord, would you use all that we have, all that we are, to further your kingdom and bring yourself the glory and honor and praise that is due to you and only you. And we pray this for our generation, for the generations to come. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.